Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay, and we're in a series called A Man After God's Own Heart on the life of King David from the Old Testament. God called him a man after his own heart, but we see that he was far from perfect. What was it about this man that God liked so much? This series looks at David's environment, his experiences, and his responses to try to discover how we can live a life that brings delight to God's heart. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this chance to get together, to open the Bible, to think about you, to think about David, and how we can be a person after God's own heart. We pray for your presence and blessing, for your wisdom and strength, for the Holy Spirit to speak to us according to the will of God. In Jesus' name, amen. This week is CSI Jerusalem, the death of Uzzah. Any of y'all like CSI? I don't know what it is about shows with dead people and, 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 and subtle clues. It's, it, but it's sort of like a, a Sherlock Holmes kind of a fascination, I think. And I always like Sherlock Holmes. And my wife has watched all the different CSIs and has sort of in rank which one she likes the best, you know, as far as which ones are more realistic or, or less stupid or whatever, you know. And Anyway. <laughs> But we want to look at an ancient crime scene, not crime scene, but a death scene, and do a theological autopsy on it to see if we can understand what happened. And so let's, uh, without further ado, since time is ticking, let's go ahead and get started. Now, again, David has become king. The last time we talked, we looked at the Beauty and the Beast last week with David and Abigail and Nabal and that situation. Then that was when David was on the run. By the end of the chapter, Saul, of uh, the end of the uh, book of 1 Samuel, Saul is killed. And in the first five chapters of 2 Samuel, David ends up becoming king of Judah and then of the whole country. And we're, we're not getting into a lot of those details, but we come to chapter 6, and David has this idea to bring the ark into Jerusalem. The ark had been kept at a place in someone's home for about 20 years. And now David has taken Jerusalem and made it his capital. And so he thought, well, I'd like to have God here with me. And so they sort of associated the presence of God with that box that was called the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, what was in the Ark of the Covenant? A bowl of the manna from the wilderness, Ten Commandments, and Aaron's rod. Why Aaron's rod? It had budded. And what was the significance of that? Right. It said uh, it's not just uh, by vote who's going to get to be priest this year. God's already said it's got to be someone from this lineage. They have to be a descendant of Aaron. They have to be uh, a Levite. So, why don't we read this? And then I'm going to give you a minute to think about the questions, the four questions on the right. Don't move ahead to the other part yet, please. But let me read this, uh, these nine verses. Now David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. Now I'll go ahead and read the questions on the right so you'll have those in your mind as we read. Why did Uzzah die? What was David's reaction? How could his death have been avoided? Was God unjust? So continuing in verse 2, And David arose and went with all the people who were with him to Baal Judah, 
to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the very name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned above the cherubim. And they placed the ark of God on a new cart, <clears throat> that they might bring it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were leading the new cart. So they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Ahio was walking ahead of the ark. Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments made of fir wood and with lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. A lot of percussion there, isn't it? But when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the, ark, for the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? So why, uh, some thoughts on why did uh, Uzzah die? Because he touched the ark. Because that's the, that's the low-hanging fruit, isn't it? He touched the ark. <laughs> I got it. I think I got it. <laughs> What's that? And uh, Katrina was saying that really because of David, it should have never been placed on a cart. Oh, okay. Right. So there was, a, there was some involvement with the, the leadership. It wasn't just Uzzah's decision to touch it. It was uh, some of David's decisions on how to do it. Any, any other comments? Why, uh, what was David's reaction? To judge God. Okay, yeah, to judge God. That's a good way of putting it. He got, he got angry. It's like, grief, you know? I mean, you're going to be that picky. And then what was his reaction? And then he got afraid. Interesting, you know, when you're angry, you're sort of confident. And you're, well, I'll tell you, you know, when you're afraid, it's like, oh, no, and I'll just back <laughs> off. How, how could uh, Uzzah's death have been avoided? Okay, if they'd have been doing it according to how God said it had to be done. And then, uh, uh, was God unjust? It's, there are two different ways to answer that. One is uh, according to the the things that you already know are given, so you, you just can't say that God would do anything bad or ever be unjust. On the other hand, if you'd have asked David at first when he got angry, he didn't get angry because he thought, well, God is just so just and fair and I'm just so ticked at him. It was like, hey, you know, we were trying to do a good thing and maybe we didn't pay attention to every little detail, but why does somebody have to die? You know, how about a spanking or something, not pull out a gun and blow us away. Uh, what, uh, what kind of a God is this? Now this is, obviously, David is one of God's very best friends. Have you ever had a very, very good friend and they did something really, really unexpected? And your thought is, do I really know this person at all? Frankly, it's happened with your spouse too, I realize, but... Uh, <laughs> It's amazing how long you can know somebody or how long you can know God and still be very surprised and sometimes very uh, sadly surprised or, or upsettingly surprised. Let's go over a couple of the things here. Let's get, get down to the details. A number of you have maybe looked at this or heard of this, but I wanted to give you some of the details on what was the nature of, of what they did wrong? Well, you've already touched on it, but I'm gonna, I've given you the verses for it as, for, uh, as well. Numbers 4, verse 5 says, When the camp is to move, 
This is in the wilderness. Aaron and his sons are to go in and take down the shielding curtain and cover the ark of the testimony with it. So what was the shielding curtain? It, it was the veil that separated. They had a partition. So they had a, a, big, a big room that was the tabernacle, and they had a cloth partition that was a veil. And they're supposed to take down the veil. The ark is on the other side in the Holy of Holies where nobody is. They take down the veil, and they walk forward, and they cover the ark. Now, there's no indication that they had ever, that they'd even covered the ark in this story. Uh, I don't imagine that the Philistines had been really, really cautious with making sure there was a veil over it, or the, the cloth over it, when they carried it around to the different places in, in Philistia and then returned it. It says, make sure we get, keep the thing covered. I mean, they didn't know. They were clueless. They just said, let's get the thing back to Israel. It's too dangerous for us to have. So first, the ark was to be covered, and it was to be covered only by a consecrated priest. So they didn't cover it, and there wasn't a priest. Second, Numbers 3.31, it says the Kohathites were responsible for the care of the ark. Who were the Kohathites? Good trivia question. <laughs> Levi had three sons. Levi was one of the 12 tribes of, of Israel. Levi had three sons, Kohath, Merari, and Gershon. And each, and they, of course they ended up having children, so there were three tribe, tribal groups. And the Kohathites were in charge of all the furniture of the tabernacle. And another group was in charge of all of the hardware, the poles, the ropes, and all that. And a third group was in charge of all the, the cloths, all the, you know, because it was all a big tent. So only the Kohathites, that third of the descendants of Levi, uh, were to have anything to do with the furniture uh, as far as its transportation. So the Kohathites were the ones responsible for transporting all the temple furniture, and there's no indication that Uzzah was a Kohathite. Third, number 7-9, it says they were to carry the holy things on their shoulders for which they were responsible. So it was never to be carried with, an, with a mechanical means. It was always to be carried. Uh, and if you see, if you've ever been to these countries that, where they have really, really bad roads, uh, anything that's a cart on, on something that's that bumpy, it, it's really, you're, you're better off just hand carrying it. Uh, if you've ever tried to uh, pull your suitcase with the little wheels over a road with gravel and all that kind of stuff, I mean, it, it just doesn't work. It wasn't made for that. And so they were to carry it on their shoulders. Fourth, number seven, nine. In number seven, God says, we're going to give carts to the Gershonites and the Merarites because the, the hardware and the software of the tabernacle is really heavy. I don't know if you've ever had a really, really big tent, but I just got a pond liner yesterday and the thing was heavy as lead, you know? I mean, it's just a 13 by 9 foot piece of plastic, thick plastic, but still, I had trouble carrying that in, you know? So uh, those things are really heavy, and so they had assigned a certain number of carts to those groups but since all of the furniture, the, the lampstand, the, the ark, the table, the showbread, all of that was like, uh, I mean, about, didn't weigh any more than this table probably. And so they would put poles through it and just have that be hand carried. And also they, those were the things that were more special. So on purpose, he didn't give them any carts. And here they are using a cart for something that's really not that heavy. Now, where did they get the idea of using a cart? 
The Philistines had come up with the idea of a cart because they didn't want to touch it. And says, let's get on on a cart. The thing's radioactive, you know. And so yeah, you just got to be careful with this. So the Philistines put it on a cart and it says, well, we've always done it that way. I mean, that, that's how the Philistines did it. That's the most recent thing that, that seemed to work. We'll just keep it on a cart. But we'll put it on a new cart. So that, that'll kind of make it okay or make it better. So they disobeyed in terms of using a cart. And then the fifth one, Numbers 4.15, the Kohathites are to come to do the carrying. So what's the procedure? The priest is supposed to cover it. It doesn't say whether or not the priest can't touch it either. It uh, just doesn't say either way. But it does say that when the Kohathites come to get it, they're only to pick up, up by the poles. And, and it says they're never to touch it. And Numbers 4.15 says, but they must not touch the holy things or they will die. God had given a very clear, you know, everything you buy today has an incredible amount of paper telling you all the ways that you shouldn't, all the things you shouldn't do with that product. You know, don't stick this in your eye, don't stick it down your throat, don't flush it down your toilet, you know. And they warn you of dire things and you think it's just a toothbrush, you know. I mean, a little common sense here, but... But here God said, uh, this is very important, pay attention to this, and, uh, because it, it, it is a life-threatening thing. You can carry it, but don't touch it. Then if we move to the, the decision, how is the decision made to move the ark? First uh, Chronicles 13, because uh, this whole story is recounted also in First in Chronicles 13, and then in 15 and 16, but this, this particular part in 13. And it says, David conferred with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds, and comes to this decision, hey, you know, we're of all agreed, this would be a great idea, let's go get the ark and bring it in. And it also says that when they told the people, the people thought, well, we think it's a great idea too. So everybody was agreed. They just hadn't asked God. Now you think, well, maybe, you know, that's being a little bit too picky. You know, our, our story takes place in 2 Samuel 6. In 2 Samuel 5, there's several battles with the Philistines. And before both of the battles, David seeks the Lord. He, he asked the, the prophet or whoever it was that he was, could find out, he says, should we go up to battle or not? And in one of the cases, he says, no, you better not. In another case, no, do it, do it this way. So he was used to seeking God's will on, on certain decisions. I guess he just assumed that what... What's not to like about this? You know, we're, we love God. He loves us. That's his, the Ark of the Covenant. This would be a great place for it. We're going to get it a new cart, you know, and do a parade. We're going to have music. It's just going to be terrific. But they didn't, they, he didn't inquire of the Lord. And then the third thing about his decision where we, it really underlines what, what was going on. In fact, why don't you turn to First Chronicles 15 just to take a look at that. In, uh, in, it's in First Chronicles, in the retelling of the story, it gives you some interesting details. I, I don't know if you've noticed that First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles kind of seem to repeat themselves a bit in terms of subject matter, but there are some differences. They say that... Uh, it's pretty probable that Chronicles was written by, by priests and that Kings was written more by historians. Because in Chronicles, if they ever do something that's related to worship, they give all the details. 
They say, well, the order of worship was presented by this person, and these were the kind of instruments that were there, and this was the musical score, and, and all of that. Whereas in the in Kings, it'll say, well, they had a parade and there was music. You know, they, it's just real brief. And so, in uh, for example, in Second Second Samuel, I think there are like seven verses about bringing the ark in the second time they bring it in. In First uh, Chronicles, there are two whole chapters. Over 70 verses on it, because they even give the script of what the kind of what they were, the song they were singing, and, and all of this stuff. But in First Chronicles uh, 15, now this is the second time they're bringing the ark in. In uh, verse one, it says he prepared a place for the ark. Verse two, it says no one is to carry the ark of God but the Levites. See, he hadn't paid attention to those details the first time. For the Lord chose them to carry the ark of God and to minister to Him. Verse 13, because you did not carry it, at, at the first, the Lord our God made an outburst on us, for we did not seek him according to his command. In verse 15, the sons of the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles there, thereon, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. So uh, David realized by going back and looking at the Bible, oh, God had said exactly how we were to do this, and we didn't. Give him the time of day. We didn't even pay attention. And the last thing I want, to, want us to notice is the identity of the man who died. 2 Samuel 6, 3 on your, on your page. Who was Uzzah? Son of Abinadab. So then the question is, okay, well, who is Abinadab? And in uh, 1 Samuel 7, after they get the ark back from the Philistines... And those uh, and the Jews say, "Hey, I've always been curious what's in the ark, you know." So they peek in the ark, and uh, about twenty thousand of them die. They, Oops, I guess that wasn't a good idea. And then say, "Okay, who wants to keep the ark?" You know. So uh, I don't know how they picked Abinadab, but they ended up putting it in his house. Where do you put an ark? You know, in the garage or the frog? I don't know. But they put it in his house, and it was there for twenty years. In other words, Uzzah grew up with the Ark of God in his house. All we know is that if anybody felt familiar with the Ark, it was Uzzah. You know, my dad got to keep the Ark. None of us died, you know. I mean, you could just imagine in their teenage years what they might think, what they might say. And so, and now Uzzah is, it's, it's, it's almost like it's half theirs, you know. You know, I guess if you're the, the, the pastor's son or something like that in, a, in one of these mega churches, you, you sort of feel like you're a, a prime stockholder or something in the, in the outfit. And, and so Uzzah had grown up with it, and, you know, we don't want to go further than what the Scripture says, but it is true that familiarity tends to breed contempt, or at least lack of caution. Some of you have been in the church a long number of years, and your children are growing up in the house of God. But I wonder about your children and how that's going in terms of them learning respect for the things of God or not. So, to, so let's recap a little bit. We've looked not just at one way, one, one instance of disobedience. There were five things that they had done wrong. In fact, there were four that they'd already done before he ever touched the ark. That was sort of like the last straw. So, at first glance, it looks like God's being picky and severe. At a closer look, you realize he was actually being kind of going easy on him. 
he, he'd already let four things sort of slide. I mean, maybe in the long view of it, he was eventually going to do something about that. But, he, you know, it wasn't a, oh, you put it on the cart, you're dead. You didn't cover it, you're dead. <laughs> 10,000 people wiped out. Actually, you know, they were quite into the parade and everything seemed to be going well, and yet they had already disobeyed God in four things, and they didn't even realize it. And so finally, that happens, and it's like the, the water reaches the overflow point, and, and he dies. How he made the decision, how that got him in trouble. But we also saw that he learned from his mistakes. First he got angry, then he got scared, then he got smart. <laughs> he went back to the Bible and says, well, what did God say? And then he thought, oh, and he changed. Because remember the last thing it says on your, in verse 9, he says, how can I ever bring the ark uh, to be with me in Jerusalem? But he went back to what God had said and realized, no, it's just that we, hadn't, we didn't do it right. And finally, we looked at how Uzzah's familiarity with the things of God bred what the scriptures call irreverence. Verse 7, it says, because of his irreverence. So let's draw a couple of conclusions uh, number one, bit by bit, David discovered that God is dangerous but not capricious. God is dangerous but not capricious. You know, gravity is not out to get you. Gravity is not th thinking, how can I make this person fall and skin their knee or bash their head? You don't need to get mad at gravity. You just need to learn the way gravity works and, and let it work for you. They say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The scripture says that, and all of you who have young children, one of your concerns whenever you're out is that your child doesn't run out into the street and get run over. And you want them to learn an appropriate fear of trucks that are moving <laughs> and the street. Now, it's not as though you want them to walk through all of their life paranoid. They're hovering at the doorway of the house, afraid to even walk out because it's within 20 feet of the street. And they're peering out to see, are there any cars coming within three miles? You know, The idea is that they learn the appropriate amount of fear that will condition the way they walk and how they cross the street and all that so that then they can almost forget about it because they walk in those ways. They, walk, they learn how to make a habit of safety, and then you don't really have to think about it that much. But we have to adjust to God. He doesn't adjust to us. God is dangerous, but he's not capricious. He doesn't just say, oh, I don't like you today, or I woke up with a bad mood. But he's been clear on the things that are important, and we, should, we have to adjust to him. Second, it's important to take God's word seriously. It's important to take God's word seriously. And this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? Satan says, what did God say? Oh, he can't eat it. you can't eat anything? And she says, no, no, we just can't eat from this tree or touch it. I added that in. You know, God hadn't said that, but uh, sometimes it, people negate God's word. Sometimes they add to it, but, and Satan says, oh, no, that's not true. It, it really doesn't matter. I mean, it's okay if you want to think that, that if you eat it, you'll die, you know, maybe metaphorically. God was meaning, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know, but not really. 
You don't need to take him seriously, Satan said. And that was the beginning of the end. Imagine biting into a piece of fruit. Supposedly what we ought to do more of these days. We need to eat more fruit, you know. But something seemingly so innocuous, so like, you know, a bite of fruit got us into all of this trouble of war and famine and plague and murder and rape. It was not taking seriously God's word. Third, we should seek God's will on all important decisions. Not just do what we want and figure God will bless us no matter what. To seek God's will, to pray about it. To not think, well, it's just a matter of doing what I want and, and then we'll pray that God will bless it. No, let's talk to God about it. Let's pray about it. Uh, most of the time, God doesn't pour out tons of audible direction, you know. Nope, nope, turn right, right there, at about to, like your GPS thing, you know. <laughs> but nevertheless, by honoring Him and asking Him and praying as a couple about decisions, it's a way you put God first and reverence Him and give Him a chance to speak because sometimes after you pray, there will be a sort of a sense of unquietness like this. Maybe there's not something quite right about this. And fourth, sincerity is no substitute for obedience. Sincerity is no substitute for obedience. Well, I meant well. Yeah, but you're still wrong. Yeah, he had, he had good reasons. We always have good reasons. Any one of us that ever disobeys God, we have reasons. And we like to think of ourselves as being perfectly sincere and well-intentioned. And what is it? that The road to hell is paved with good intentions. So as we look at the life of David in this and think about David being a man after God's own heart and realizing that this was a very sad moment, and it's always sadder when you're happy and then something horrible happens, you know? I mean, right in the middle of the birthday party, someone dies of a heart attack. I don't know. I mean, there are all kinds of things that can happen, but uh, it, it's almost like it's, it's even sadder or it hits harder because it was a, supposed to be a happy day. And yet it was a day where, uh, that's recorded in history in the scriptures for us also to learn these lessons that God is dangerous, that he is holy that it really does matter what he said. And he didn't say those things to, like, like you teach your children about traffic. You don't teach them that so that they'll live paranoid or, or their whole lives will be hindered because they have to look both ways before they cross the street. No, you're, it's, your intent is to be life-giving and to bless them and to, that they'd live long and, and prosper and be happy. And the things that God has commanded, it's, it's, it's all for our good. But he says, you've got to pay attention. You've got to realize that what I've said is important. You've got to realize that just once a week reading the Bible for five minutes isn't going to get you there. If, if, if these things that he said really matter that much, you have to find ways to weave the scripture through your life, through your thinking, and also with your family, with your children. talks about with your husbands, with your wives, washing her with the water of the word and thinking about, well, Lord, how can we do that? How can we advance? and paying attention to what you have said. Because you love us, you don't want us to get hurt, but if we don't even read the book you gave us, and then things go badly, who do we have to blame? They told us in Sunday school we should be reading our Bible. We're not, you know, now this has happened. And I don't know. But God is good, 
We've now looked at CSI Jerusalem, the death of Uzzah. We've realized that there were lots of things, lots of mistakes made. And if they'd have caught it sooner, even with some of the mistakes, it was going to be okay. God isn't usually into capital punishment for things. Uh, he, he gives us probably more slack than we, or certainly more slack than we deserve. But he's calling out to us, listen, listen. Study the scriptures. Pray. Listen to the Holy Spirit's leading. I want to lead you, but you've got to allow yourself to be led. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this moment to look at this ancient story. This is a 3,000-year-old story, a death scene. And all of us will die someday, but we want to die bringing glory to God, not die in disobedience, even if it's out of ignorance. As it says in Psalm 19, who can discern his faults and keep us back from presumptuous sins? It's almost as though David could have written that after this event. And we pray also that you would help us. Lord, if there's some way, some area that we are particularly being disobedient to you, that you would let us know, that you'd help us to get in the scripture and also be open to counsel, to, to correction, to reproof. We do want to serve you as an individual, as a family. We pray that you teach, help us to teach our children to not have the familiarity that Uzzah had that led him to disregard and disrespect the things of God. Thank you, Lord, that you love us unconditionally. You love us enough to tell us what's right and what's true and to call us back to the good path. Thank you for your blessing. Thank you for your mercy and forgiveness. Thank you for the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.